Okay, there was uh, some news this week. I happened to see this in the, in the news and just wanted to ask you about it. There's a picture. What's this picture about? It's the, you know what it is? The Doomsday Clock. And uh, that was in the, the news this week. The Doomsday Clock is a symbolic representation of the world's proximity to global catastrophe. Uh, midnight represents doomsday, the, the time when humanity, through unchecked scientific and technological advances, basically wipes itself off the planet. Uh, the time on the doomsday clock is really interpreted, it's, it's, it's not to be interpreted as actual time, but really it's, it's an expression about how close we are to a, a human-made global catastrophe. Uh, this, this clock started, anyone know when this clock started? 1947, right? That's really close. After World War II and the uh, atomic bombs were launched on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, um, a, a group was assembled together. It's called the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists. In the aftermath of World War II, with the dawning of the atomic age, they, they, they figured they'd, they'd put this to give some alertness to the world at large. And every year, since 1947, this bulletin of atomic scientists have published a time where, where they believe sort of the earth, we are in the course of, of history. Um, it, it originally just took into account nuclear weapons, but today the, the group takes into account all sorts of things, including any human factor that would contribute to political human extinction. Um, so today they, they take into account like geopolitical developments, maybe other advances in technology like artificial intelligence, whatever they believe is, is where things are. And, and the first clock was, was set right here, seven minutes till midnight, as you can see. And just within a few years, two years later, in 1949, when the Soviet Union conducted their first nuclear bomb test, it was three minutes to midnight. And then during the end of the Cold War in uh, 1991, it was moved way back to 17 minutes before midnight, as there seemingly was peace between the United States, between the United States and, uh, and Russia. Someone say, what? <laughs> 17 minutes. We got 17 minutes to go. Uh, but that's like the furthest back it has been. Um, and really, all, all these are, are merely just to create some discussion about just about thinking about the world and the end of the world. And in 2007, they began to in include climate change in their consideration. 2007 was five minutes to midnight. And then 2020, with the rise of disinformation campaigns, the clock moved to 100 seconds before midnight. Anyone know where it is today? This Tuesday is when they announced this, is when they had their big press conference this past Tuesday. We are 90 seconds before midnight. This is the record. Last year was 90 seconds, and now it's 90 seconds. So like, it's, not, it's not ticking, but the, basically there's, there's an alarmist um, idea here. But with the wars in Ukraine and Gaza, the tensions at its height, 90 seconds. It's as close to midnight as ever been. And of course, this is an imperfect metaphor, but it does create an awareness of how we humans can destroy the earth. I mean, we can wipe ourselves out. If the nuclear weapons in the United States were all launched and detonated in Russia and China, and their nuclear weapons launched and detonated here in the United States, it, we could see a day in which um, mankind would cease to exist on the planet. Well, this morning as we come to the book of Revelation, we, we sort of see a, a doomsday 
Maybe not in the sense of total catastrophe in terms of all the fire. That, that comes later. Uh, but we see basically human beings kind of wiped from the planet. We see Babylon, which was, was read about in Jeremiah 51, talking about the historic Babylon. Uh, we see Babylon um, destroyed, wiped out. What a wonderful message I have for you this morning. <laughs> fallen, fallen is Babylon. So if you haven't taken the time yet, I encourage you to open your Bibles to Revelation 18 right there at the end, end of the Bible. Uh, we began looking at that chapter last week, and um, I didn't get through my message because I had a big story to tell you. And, uh, but this morning we'll conclude um, Revelation 18. Last week we looked at, at part one, and, and this morning we look at, at part two. Uh, my message last week and this week are the same, except with part one and part two. Fallen, fallen is Babylon. That's the main heart of Revelation 18. It's kind of the culmination of God's judgment upon the world. Let me read the entirety of Revelation 18. It's just good for us to put it in our minds again. John says this, After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from her power of her luxurious living. And then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, lest her sins are, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning And they will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore, cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, and all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, Incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots and slaves. That is human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed is gone from you. And all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and pearls. For in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. All the shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all whose trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city is like the great city? 
and threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas for the great city, where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth, for in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of a bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth. And all nations were deceived by your sorcery, and in her was found the blood of the prophets and of saints, and of all who had been slain on the earth. Now, by way of reminder, once again, this entire chapter flows from the the final bowl of the wrath of God. The backbone of Revelation, if you remember, is made up of three vertebrae. The seals, the trumpets, and the bowls. The seal judgments are in chapter 6. The trumpet judgments are in chapters 8 and 9, and the the bold judgments come in chapter 16. There are seven of each of these judgments, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. And each time as a seal is open or a trumpet is blown or a bowl is poured out, some sort of judgment comes upon the earth, and each one gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And they all get worse and worse until the final bowl of Revelation chapter 16. And with the pouring out of this very last bowl, you can see the seventh one over there, right? the very last bowl, God says, it is done. You see that in Revelation chapter 16 and verse 17. It is done. That is, His judgment is done. It's finished. It's, it's all wrapped up. It doesn't mean God's done telling the story. Right? Revelation 17 and 18 give the details of what happened during that seventh bowl. I shared the slide with you last week that's kind of like that, that the seventh bowl there, right? Is from there you open it up into chapter 17 and 18. And, and, and they're really 17 and 18 tell the, the same story from two vantage points. Uh, the, these, these chapters really explain this verse. Revelation 16, 19. You kind of put a box around that would encourage you. The great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell And God remembered Babylon the Great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And you can even see there in verse 19, it speaks about the cities of the nations fell. So even though Revelation 18 primarily speaks about Babylon as one city, this is really emblematic of all the cities. It's the world system. It is people pursuing the world. And and the, the, the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath is drained dry. That's why I call it like um, doomsday. This, it's all done. This is it. And we saw that in uh, Revelation chapter 17, which gave us a picture of God judging the great prostitute, the prostitute symbol of wickedness, prostitute is one who forsakes her husband. And so likewise, everyone who fake, forsakes the Lord is judged in Revelation 17. And in Revelation 18, the picture just changes, but it's really the same reality. It's judging Babylon, which is a, a symbol of worldliness. Babylon's this, this great city filled with wealth and worldliness. So Babylon also symbolizes everybody, right, who's cared more about the, the pleasures of the world than they cared about 
the Lord. And really, that, that's really the bottom line of where it is, right? People caring about the world, they're, they're pursuing the pleasures and passions of the world and forgetting, neglecting God. And, and the message of Revelation 18 is simply this, that Babylon has fallen. All this where people have placed their hopes, it is done and dashed. Well, last week we looked at verses 1 through 8. Just want to review them for you here a little bit. The first three verses we saw what I called overview. It's because these, these three verses really give like an, an overview of everything. Just like Revelation 16, 9 gives an overview of everything, so also these kind of give an overview. That's where you see the apocalyptic literature just kind of going in and out and just describing close by and then big and summaries. And this is what we have. We have an overview. You can see the, the overview is right there in verse 2. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. This great city is fallen. The, the epitome of the world's successes is fallen. Verse 3 gives reason for the fall. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. That is, the nations of the world have been so intoxicated by the lure of wealth and wickedness that they become self-sufficient. They've neglected God. The judgment has come. Fallen, fallen is Babylon. That's the overview. And last week we also looked at the, the preview. That is what takes place just right before the city crashes and falls. It's, it's really one last call for repentance. It's like, like just before the, the city crashes, we see that in, in verse 4, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. So verses 1 through 3 sees it all done, and then verses, verse, verses 4 through 8 kind of backs off, but kind of beforehand, and calling people out like there's a chance. And this is the message of Revelation, right? There's a chance, opportunity, turn to God. The thief on the cross in his dying day turned to Christ. So likewise, Babylon could have turned God giving one last chance to those who lived in the worldliness of their luxury. Verse 7, as she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. She lived, the lust of the pleasure of flesh, she will torment and mourn. I can't help but to think about Luke chapter 16, the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Remember the rich man just lived in his riches? Lived high on the hog and lived pleasures, but Lazarus was there at his gate, having sores, longing for the dogs even to lick his sores. And then at the end, right, it's all switched. He who lived in great, great luxury was in the torment of hell, longing just even for a, a dip of a finger in water to be placed on his tongue. Whereas Lazarus, the poor beggar, was in Abraham's bosom. That's the great rehearsal, reversal that will take place in the judgment. It's the message of Revelation. Everything you see now that maybe is against Christians and believers will be, will be upheeled, will be turned. And the swiftness of the judgment comes in chapter 8, in verse 8 rather. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day. Quick destruction. Death and mourning and famine will come and she'll be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. Quick, in one day, it's all it's going to take. Babylon, all its power, is no match for God. He can sell it in one day. It's a preview of what God will take place in the world. Right? The doomsday clock may say that we're 90 seconds from the end of destruction of humanity, but here verse 8 tells us just in a, a single day it will take place. And it's almost as if even this day will catch the world off guard. They're not prepared for the suddenness of judgment. <laughs> Though 
the bulletin of atomic scientists are saying, hey, be prepared, be prepared, the end is coming. And yet few in the world even realize. So they just carry on, like all is well. Just carry on with their, their life and their luxury. Well, that's what we see in, in verse 3 and following. That's what we see in my third point. In keeping with the theme, I'm calling this Review. Because in verses 9 through 19, really, we, we, don't have a, we don't have a preview about what's going to happen. So now at 9 through 19, it's kind of like it's past. And we have these people who are looking back upon Babylon. And now again, with apocalyptic imagery, like they're destroyed in Babylon. And, but yet they're still looking. And, and just that's how it is. A commentary on what happened with Babylon. They lament over the glory of the city that once was, but is now destroyed. This is when humanity and all its richness is all destroyed and there's lament. There are three groups of people who lament. First, we see the kings in verse 9. And the kings of the earth who, commit sex, who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. That is, the, the kings of the earth who lived in um, luxury, had great power and, and great authority. And these kings probably representing like all the rulers of the world. And they lament, is what we see. They stand far off in fear of her torment. And they say, verse 10, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And here we see it's not just a single day, but it's a single hour. And note here that they don't weep in repentance. And I think that's the whole key. Remember when the bowls were being poured out in Revelation chapter 16 when the fourth angel poured out his bowl and they scorched people with fierce heat. What did they do? They cursed the name of God. Chapter 16 verse 9 who did not, who had power over the plagues. They did not repent so as to give him glory. Here they were, right? Facing the torment of God's wrath for their sins and, and rather than repenting and finding hope in Christ which is available for us in the gospel. Cursing the name of God instead. In the fifth bowl as well. Chapter 16, verse 10. The, sixth, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. And people gnawed their tongues in anguish and they cursed the God of heaven for their pains and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. Right When the judgment was coming out, they, they cursed God. They hated God. So the, even here, you, you don't see repentance over their sin that brought the torment and that brought the judgment. Rather, there is sin and lament over the consequences of their sin, not over the sin itself. They they weep because they've lost their power. They've lost their influence. They've lost their luxury. Where this city, once they had ruled, is no longer any city. And without the city, they don't have a rule. And they've been dethroned and they lament what they've lost. Next, we see not only the kings, we see the merchants coming in verse 11. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Right? There's, they're weeping because there's no more trade. Right? There's, there's no more wealth. All that's left is a, is a memory. Look here in verse 12. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls. God takes away. God takes away these precious stones that they, that they trade. All gone. Fine linen, purple, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth. God takes away their, their fine clothing that makes them look nice. All gone. 
all kinds of scented wood and all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, iron and marble. Decorations. All sorts of decorations to make your houses look nice and your palaces, your public place looking nice. They're, they're all take, taken away. You can't trade them anymore. Verse 13, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense. Just all your fragrance to make it smell nice. It's all gone. Wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, your foods are all gone. You can't trade them anymore. There's none left. It's all been destroyed. Cattle and sheep and horses and chariots. These are the the beasts of the earth who served us so well. Today it might be like machinery and machines to produce. All those are taken away. And slaves, that is human souls, the slave labor which enriched so many. But are human souls taken away? And they weep just like the kings of the earth weep. If you look even, even there in verse 14. The fruit for which your soul longed is gone from you. And all your delicacies and all your splendors are lost to you. Never to be found again. Gone. Wiped out. That's the reality of judgment, right? This is doomsday when it's all gone. And the merchants of these waters who gained wealth from her will stand afar off in fear of her torment, just like the kings stood far off in fear of their torment. Weeping and mourning aloud, they said, Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and pearls. For in a single hour all her this wealth has been laid to waste. You know, we see... No repentance for the merchants. Just sorrow for the loss. And no longer will these merchants be able to enrich themselves with their trading. No longer will these merchants seek the, and live in the pleasures of the world. It's all, it's all going away. Rather than laying up for themselves treasures in heaven, they trusted in the treasures upon the earth. You know, Jesus warned us in the Sermon on the Mount, take the wise course of action. He says, Matthew six nineteen. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. In light of Revelation 18, you can change the words of Jesus a bit. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth which will be destroyed in the judgment. But rather, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where the judgment will not touch. That's the idea here. These, these merchants, they're, they're so reveling in, their, in their, their wealth and all they have and their pleasures. And there'll be a day when it's gone. It's gone. And, and I say, church family, right? Understand the day it's going to be gone. Your houses will be torn down. Right? Your cars will rust out. Everything you have on the earth will go away. We need not trust in them. And then we come to a third group of people, the sailors. They come here in the middle of verse 17. And all the shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all who trade on the sea, stood afar off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city is like the great city? Right? Right? These sailors right, looking, that, that's the place to go. The hub of trading. Right? That's New York City. That's Los Angeles. That's Hong Kong or wherever. Like the, this is the great city. What city was, was so great as this city? 
and they threw dust on their heads, and they wept and mourned. They're lamenting, crying out, Alas, alas for the great city, where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she was laid to waste. The pattern of lament is the same. They look back and they, if you will, they review Babylon and just say, what, what was Babylon? What, what city was like our great city? And their mourning, by the way, is selfish. They're ruined because everything they had was so wonderful is now destroyed. And say, that's worldly repentance. Worldly repentance is sorrow what you've lost, not sorrow over the sin that grieves God that brought judgment upon yourself. And note again this theme, right? In a, in a single hour, she has been laid to waste. We see that in verse 10. In a single hour, she was laid to waste. We see that in verse 17 and, and in verse 19. See, when God's judgment comes, it comes swift and complete. And that's what John saw. John, John saw it, seeing it, it took just a, a single hour. It was laid to waste and ruined. I can't help but to think here as we think about the, the sailors, to think about the, the Titanic, right? That, that ocean liner that was the pride of the world, right? Never built a, a big ship like this before, and it's going to go on its maiden voyage, and it's all fancy and all decked out, and there's pleasures, and there's balls, and there's music, and there's drink, and everything. And that, by the way, is the earth. The earth is the Titanic. Then on the maiden voyage, it, it sank <clears throat> April 15th. 1912, as a result of striking an iceberg, some 15,000 people died. You know, the, the only lack of peril here is that <clears throat> is it's not everyone dying. There were some who were, who were saved, but it just took a little bit of time. Hit that iceberg, and I'm not sure how long exactly it took for that ship to fall and underneath, and it is now in the bottom of the sea. All the wealth and all the opulence and all the luxury, and all the pleasures, and all the music, and mirth, and dancing, and joy, and drinking, and carousing, all that worldliness, all gone. To the pinnacle of comfort and luxury, all gone. And so likewise, that's, that's kind of what we're talking about here, with, uh, with God's judgment, this, this single hour. That, that ship hits the iceberg, all gone, in Babylon, there'll be a day. <clears throat> when Babylon, the treasure of the world, all the world system, all the luxury and pleasure of the world is, is going away. And I think, really, the message to us is simple, right? Are we going to trust in the things of the world? Or are we going to trust in the things of, of the Lord? Uh, when um, Darren read from um, Jeremiah 51, the, <clears throat> that was destruction of the, of the real Babylon, the symbolic the, the Babylon that becomes a type of this Babylon here, right? The, the one who, who made earth rich by her power. Jeremiah 51, verse 15. The one that was the envy of every nation. The, the one that had, had cast their power all over. Like, how many people do you remember from ancient Babylon? I remember Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, the last king. And, and Babylon was like the United States is today. How many people will be remembered in the United States? Years to come when we fall. And it says in Jeremiah 51, verse 13 of Babylon, O you who dwell by many waters, rich in treasures, <clears throat> your end has come. Why? It's because of the vengeance of God upon this godless nation. And so really the message to us is simple. 
Are you ready for the judgment to come? Are you holding on to your things? Or do you hold your things loosely? Remember when Jesus was speaking to the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19? This man came up to Jesus and said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? He said, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter eternal life, keep the commandments. He said, which ones? And so Jesus pulled some of the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbors yourself. And the young man says, I've kept all these things. Proud and arrogant in his heart of his own righteousness. Jesus said, okay, well, let's see how you do with the coveting one. Well, if you'd be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. He's asking him, right? How hold? You're a rich man. How, how, how hard do you hold on those things? Just sell them. Come follow me. This one is boasting his righteousness. And the young man, when he heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He was like Babylon. He had his possessions. He was living high in society. He had his, he had his things. And Jesus then turned to his disciples and blew their mind because the disciples saw rich was a, a sign of God's blessing upon people. And, and like, whoa, what happened? And, and truly, Jesus says, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. I say that's true of Americans. Only with difficulty do Americans enter the kingdom of heaven. Because we have so much. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Hear that. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Why do you think the church is in decline in America? Because it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. We who live in Babylon, who have so much. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. Who then can be saved? Because they thought the rich and wealthy were those favored by God. Who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. It's possible with God. It's possible that we're here today only because of God. Be in heaven only because of God. We'll look past the things of this world only because of God. And Peter, bless his heart, said in reply, See, I've left you everything and followed you. What then will we have? And he says, Yes, you've left. Good. Well done, Peter. So, what about you, right? Have the wealth of the riches of the Titanic of America taken you and led you astray? It's the message here of Babylon. It's like the final judgment. God is just getting at luxury and wealth and sinful living. That's what Revelation 18 is talking us. The world is passing away. Don't place your hope on the riches of the world. Or you'll be destroyed. The the warning, 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, right at the end of of 1 Timothy, Paul's writing to him. He says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good and to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is truly life. Did you catch that? Just talking about for the rich. Don't be haughty. Don't don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. But on God who provides everything for us to enjoy. So the riches God gives us to enjoy and enjoy in the right way, but yet we're not, we're not to hold them and cling to them and trust in them and saturate our, our lives with them. Rather, right, 
Let those who are rich be rich in good deeds, be generous, ready to share. Right? Th- those who have been blessed are to give and to be gracious. And thus mimicking what Jesus said, storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Right? So there's that balance. I'm not speaking against all riches. God has blessed us. You remember Psalm 67? God, be gracious to us and bless us and cause your face to shine upon us. Why? That your name may be known on the earth, your salvation to all nations. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let them sing for joy. The idea is, is, is that God blesses us. We should use that to be givers to other people. We should use our wealth. If you have a nice house, invite people over. If you have a nice car, share it. If you have nice things, share it. Enjoy it. It's God. He's given it to you. But don't place your hope on there. Everything created by God is good. Nothing's to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. So there's, there's a balance, okay? And I've not, I've not got the balance right, how it goes. But I do see here that the judgment is coming upon those who have placed their hope in the riches and the wealth and the luxurious living. God has given us good gifts. He wants for us to enjoy, but don't hold on to them too tightly. Bring others in on the enjoyment as well. Okay, my fourth point. We've, we've seen the overview. That's kind of everything. We've seen the preview. That was kind of before. We've seen the review. That was behind. And in keeping with the theme, I'm just calling this worldview. Um, at this point, it seems as if there's a, a change in voice here, verse 20. It's really strange. Verse 20 says, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. It doesn't really seem like that's what the sailors would be saying. So I just I think there's a disconnect here in terms of there's there's no like and then a voice from heaven says this or or God says this. But I, I do think there's a change in voice because the shipmasters are lamenting. And then here's a command to us. Here's a command to heaven, here's a command to all the saints and to all the apostles and all the prophets. In other words, to all the godly, they are commanded that they should Rejoice. Now, too often, right, we look at Revelation chapter 18 and see these passages of judgment with sorrow. In many ways, rightly so, we should, we should lament the judgment of God that comes upon an unbelieving world. Because these believers are lost and all they had is destroyed and, and they're to be pitied for their hope in God, for their hope in the world and not in God. And yet, there's something about this passage that we ought to rejoice about. And if you don't rejoice about it, I don't think you understand Revelation. Remember, these are persecuted people coming to hard times. They're trusting vengeance of mine, I'll say the, uh, thus says the Lord. And they're like seeing the vengeance of God. So it's rather than them executing vengeance, it's God executing vengeance. And there's a joy that I've not had to vindicate myself, God. You've come and you've vindicated us. There's a real way that we should rejoice in the judgment of God. Because it vindicates God. It vindicates His holiness that God cannot tolerate sin. And I just say this, we, we rejoice at the judgment of God upon the world the same way the world rejoices with those who have caused great harm to the world when they are judged and condemned. I watched a little bit of the trial of Daryl Brooks this week. He's the man, I'm sure you remember, he drove an SUV through the annual Christmas parade in Waukesha, Wisconsin. He killed six people, injured 62 others, just driving his car right through a parade. He's found guilty in a court of law sentenced to life in prison without possibility or eligibility of supervision in each of the six deaths that he caused, he's to serve them consecutively. So the only time for him to get out of jail is if he dies and raises again. Six times! But then there's also, I, I forget how many, 
17 years maybe for all the 62 people who were, so it's 300, and then he lives to the age of 400. So he resurrects six times, lives age, that's when he'll get out of prison. But at the sentencing, Judge Jennifer Darrow read the names of those who had been run over by the SUV and killed, and when the, each of the sentence of, read, of the homicide was read, there was applause in the courtroom. Now, typically, judges, when they hand down sentences, don't let applause. They say, be quiet, right? But in this case, she just let it go. And so she read this. She said, one life sentence for Virginia Sorensen. And there was a crowd, like, applause. One life sentence for Leanne Owen. And there was applause. One life sentence for Tamara Durand. And there was applause. One life sentence for Jane Coolidge. And there was applause. One life sentence for Bill Hospel. And there was applause. One life sentence for Jackson Sparks. And there was applause. Why was there applause? Because the people in that courtroom understood that justice had been served. And the sentence was just. Maybe they wanted more, right? Maybe they wanted execution, whatever. But, but applauding, at least he was guilty and is going to serve his life in prison, never to harm another soul again. And it's similarly, right? When Babylon, this world system, is destroyed, the call of heaven is for all the saints to applaud. God, you've been just in condemning the worldliness of the world. Because verse 20 says, For God has given judgment for you against her. And when God executes His judgment in the Lord's when, the time when God pays, and, and for all of you who love justice, this is a time of rejoicing. Not so much at the death of the wicked, but at the vindication of God that justice has been served. Ezekiel 18.23, God asks, Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? See, God says, God's not getting his joy at, at killing the people. God's not getting his joy at, at destroying things. Rather, right, he, he gets his joy in calling people out when they, when they do repent. That's the call of this chapter. Chapter 18, verse 4. Come out of her, my people. If there's any message for you this morning, it's come out of Babylon. Come out. Let's be different. Let's be distinct as a church than the world. God wants his people to turn from their sin. He isn't anxiously awaiting the day when the doomsday clock strikes midnight because he's so looking forward to destroying the world. Like my son, after every end of semester, oftentimes has a bonfire with all of his notes. It's not what, it's not what God is like. Think about it. God has been tolerating sin for years and decades and centuries and millennia. Letting it go, letting it go, letting it go. Letting it go, letting it go. But at this moment in history, the Lord is done tolerating sin. He's dealing with sin, judging all those who haven't trusted in Christ. And the whole earth rejoices. It is coming. And, and there's something about how the planet understands this in a way that we don't understand this. Um, you don't need to turn there, but I'm going to read from a couple Psalms, from Psalm chapter 96 just speaks about the the creation rejoicing at the judgment of God. Psalm 96 ends this way in verse 11 through 13. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. All of creation is being called to sing. Do you know why? 
before the Lord, for He comes. For He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in His faithfulness. All creation rejoices at the coming of God to finally deal the vindication of Himself. And that's the call of Revelation is, O heavens, right? O creation, sing praise. And then you as saints and apostles and prophets sing praise to God. Psalm 98 says the same thing. Psalm 98, 7. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and all those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing together for joy. Why are we to call to sing together for joy? You think about Psalm 96, right? Great is the Lord, greatly to praise. Yeah, wonderful. But why here? Are they called to sing together for joy? Because He comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. God's going to come and He's going to judge. And that should cause us to rejoice. And that's what I'm simply calling here worldview. Romans 8 speaks about creation groaning and longing for the day when the sons of God are revealed. And it's groaning because it's been subjected to sin by Adam and Eve and all of us. And then there's a sense where this earth just, just groans waiting for God to come and show who the sons of God are. Do you see Revelation 18 and rejoice? You should sorrow, yes. But you should rejoice. All right, my last point, verse 5. In keeping with the theme, I'm calling the last section here, Ocean View. Okay, that's a big stretch, all right? However, I call it that because Babylon, all they get is a view of the ocean. Verse 21, Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and be found no more. You know, nothing is more lost than what is buried in the heart of the sea. This past September, maybe you remember September 17th, an F-35 fighter jet was on a, a training mission from Joint Base Charleston. And uh, after malfunction in the jet, the pilot was ejected over Charleston, South Carolina. He parachuted from a few thousand feet, landed in someone's backyard, went knocked at their door, and said to the woman who answered, said, Ma'am, I'm a military jet just crashed. I'm the pilot, and we need to get the rescue rolling. I'm not sure where the airplane is. It would have crashed, landed someplace, but I ejected. That initiated a 911 call, and uh, the world, basically, the, the United States, didn't know where the jet had crashed. The pilot didn't know. The nation went, and, and the nation went on a, a one-day manhunt for this jet that had fallen down. After a day, the wreckage of the jet was located some 60 miles from the ejection site. But it was found. Contrast that with what happened on March 8, 2014. Nearly a decade ago, Malaysian Airlines Flight 370 on an international passenger flight from Malaysia to Beijing. After 38 minutes after takeoff, contact with the, uh, the plane was lost and the flight just simply disappeared. Presumably falling into the South China Sea or maybe the Indian Sea and all 20, 227 passengers, 12 crew aboard, are presumed dead. But here's the thing, it's been 10 years and we haven't found it. We've searched and searched and searched and searched and searched for this plane. The most expensive search in the history of aviation. It's never been found. So what's the difference between these two planes? One crashed on the ground. 
and was found in a day. And it's shocking that it took so long. Like, what? <laughs> we got a jet and we can't find out where someone didn't see it fall out of the sky and say, Martha, what was that flash in the sky? Oh, there it is. What is that? Let's go investigate. Oh, oh, there's a crash. We should have found it within an hour. On the other one, this plane presumably crashed in the heart of the sea. It's missing to this day. And that's the point. Babylon will be cast into the sea never to surface again. In fact, you see the, the, the finality of the destruction. The sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. Sorry, Yvonne. None. No more music and mirth in Babylon. The, the music will be quieted. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. All you manufacturers in Rockford, all of your manufacturing, all your craftsmanship, all your woodshop stuff, it's all gone. Businesses will die. The sound of the mill will be heard in you no more, right? These construction, crafting, modeling, whatever they do, it's all gone. The light of a lamp will shine in you no more. No more domestic life. Families aren't going to enjoy their time around the fire anymore. It's all gone. The voice of the bridegroom and the bride will be heard in you no more. Festivities will fail. They'll just be gone. That will happen with Babylon. That will happen with the cities of the world. That will happen to the world when God comes, when doomsday hits. That is doomsday. But notice there's a big difference between 90 seconds towards midnight and actual doomsday. The bulletin of the atomic scientists would lead us to believe that we ourselves are going to, in our own power, going to like blow ourselves up with atomic power. It's not going to happen. It's God who's going to come in the judgment. God who's going to take care of things. And on the one hand, right, that's, that's awful. That's, that's terror. On the other hand, there's reason for rejoicing as God is vindicating Himself. And then that last verse, And in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints, and of all who've been slain on the earth. It just speaks about their sin. They, they were anti-God. They were going against the blood, the pro, the, against the lives of the prophets, and against the saints, and those who are living righteously. The world system is against God's ways. And that's the message of Revelation 18. Fallen, fallen to Babylon. Don't place your hope in this world. Don't place your hope in the city. Don't place your hope in the city of Rockford. Right? Place your hope in Christ. who will last for eternity. Right when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than we've first begun. That's the, the hope of the glories of Jesus is to be there with, with Him forever. Rather than the worldly system which will be destroyed. And we even see the rejoicing of that in chapter 19. <clears throat> Fourfold, alleluia. Alleluia, which we'll look at next week. Just excitement and praise and honoring to God because he's judged Babylon. So we'll get some of the theme again next week. So let's pray. Oh, Father, we are thankful for your, your grace to us. God, most of us here, God, if, if not most, God, I, I pray that it would be all of us. God, that by your grace you'd cause us to see our sin and see our transitoriness and see how little time we have, see how we need to repent. But even, even this world, the, the greatest atomic scientists, know that our world is on the brink of being, being done 
and yet they're not repenting. Instead, they're enjoying the high life with so many, living in the pleasures of the world. Yeah, we know the pleasures of the world, the festivities and the, the houses, the domestic life and businesses and music. It'll all be still. It'll all be gone someday. So give us the wisdom, O oh God, not to look to live for the things here, God, but to look for, to live for the things of eternity. Looking and trusting in Christ. We know that He is the way, the truth, and life. And no one comes to the Father through Him. May we go through Him. Bring us that place, that house that you're building for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.